Hey, Redeemer, it's great to be with you. Uh, we are entering in an interesting season right now, um, and we are following Jesus in this season. Um, if you're not familiar with the upper room discourse, it's Jesus in an upper room um, with his disciples. This is his church um, and it's Passover, uh, which is a celebration of the people of God um, leaving Egypt and going into the promised land. So it's a time between times. It's a it's a time of tension. Um, it's a time of tension in an upper room. It's a time of waiting. Um, it's a tense time. And uh, chapter 13, verse 1, if you want to read along with me, I'm reading from the NIV. Um, we're going to study 13, 1 through 11, if you're reading along with me. It says, it was just about before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jew Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured out water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my, my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet, but his whole body is clean and, and you, you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he had said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And, and then he asked him a question. Now, now this, is a, this is a tense situation. And, you know, if you, if, you, if you wrap up, like take the two lords betraying William Wallace on the battlefield in Braveheart and mix that with like the betrayal of Iago of, you know, who convinced Othello to murder his wife and then add the pain of Absalom betraying his father David on the throne and you start feeling the tragedy of this section of scripture. Um, there's a lot of betrayal going on in this text. Um, the, the emotional feelings even of Jesus in this text in verse 21, if you read on in chapter 13, it says that Jesus was troubled in spirit in this text. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of emotion in this text. And um, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to go through the upper room discourse and stop our study in Colossians. And um, because I know that that's, that's a good emotion, I think, that all of us are feeling right now. Um, maybe not necessarily because you've been betrayed, but you, you're troubled. 
Um, I love the fact that you know, they're all in one place. They're all staying in an upper room. Maybe that's how all of you feel right now is you're in place. Um, that's an interesting term to stay in place. That's how we all kind of feel right now as we're kind of sequestered in our rooms with our kids or our roommates were in place. Um, don't you wish your roommate was Jesus? <laughs> um, but we're troubled. Um, maybe some of you feel betrayed right now. Maybe some of you feel betrayed right now by Jesus because of all the things that you've had to cancel or maybe you are sick. Maybe you feel betrayed. Um, Maybe you feel under great pressure. Um, maybe you're really, really scared. I know I've been really, really scared. Um, and I'll be honest, I've gone to chapter 13 and chapter 14 and chapter 15 and chapter 16 and chapter 17 of this text a lot. And, and that's why I wanted Redeemer to go through this text. I, I find great hope in this text. Um, and I find great hope in chapter 13, actually, because um, there's great irony in this text. Um, the, the professor that I had that taught me, John, and I took this class with him uh, a lot, not because I failed it, because I just wanted to take this class with him a lot. His name was Dr. D.A. Carson. Um, he said, John, the rhetoric of the book of John is, um, is like an onion not just theologically, but the rhetoric of it. You peel it back again and again and again and again. And um, you, you have this servant, Jesus. He's not just a savior, but he's a servant. And the way that the disciples respond to Jesus in this text, there's three responses to the foot washing of um, Jesus uh, is, is pretty phenomenal. Um, you see, Jesus... And the disciples are all sitting down to a meal. And I'm sure many of you understand and, and, and have read this text before. Um, people in the ancient Near East, when they would sit down to a meal, uh, they wouldn't sit down to a meal like this at a table. They would, they would lean um, at a meal. They, you, typically, the table would be about 12 inches off the ground. And so you would lean on your left, typically. And so that would mean that your, your feet would, would be close to the person's uh, face. And so it's important, uh, considering that you have sandals on, uh, that someone, typically a servant, would clean your feet because as you're leaning at table to eat your meal, you don't want someone's smelly feet to be near you or the table. So the first thing that would happen at table was a servant, um, an indentured servant, um, the lowest class of person would clean your feet before eating. And according to this text, Jesus, who knew his time had come, who was going to the Father, who now was about to show the full extent of his love, which is clearly, according to chapter 15, 
meant he's about to give his life for those he loved, which is clearly, according to D.A. Carson, the cross, give his life for the world whom he loves, whom, according to John chapter 3, is the sovereign over the entire world. He has put all things under his power. John and Peter has already seen the Christ transfigured. They've seen him in glory. Jesus is the one that gets up, takes off his outer cloak, and meets their immediate need. And what is their immediate need? Their feet are covered in the grime, the dung, and the smell of the Jerusalem dusty road before they're about to eat. They need their feet washed. This isn't some religious service. Their feet actually stink. They need an immediate need met. Who does it? The one, according to John, who's put all things under his power, the one who is the creator of the universe, the one who John 1, 1 said was before all time, the one whom John says is God and was with God before the beginning. Here's the one who is getting up and about to wash the feet of the disciples. Now, there's great irony in this text. There's three responses to this foot washing. But only one we see clearly, Peter. Peter brazenly responds and says, you're going to wash my feet? Now, what I love about Peter is I think Peter responds in a way that is arrogant, but I think he reveals the arrogance of all of our arrogance. But his arrogance is a is a, is a, it's a verbal arrogance because his arrogance is an arrogance like, you fool, how could you use your power like this? Because he's seen, he's seen his power. He knows he's king. He doesn't know what type of king he is, but he knows he's powerful. And here's the thing, other disciples allowed this king to wash their feet. And you know Peter is ticked off at that. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're gonna wash my feet? No, 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 no. You know what? You get Judas or James to wash the feet or at least the servant by the, the door over there to wash the feet. But you are a fool. Get up. You, you, you remember that Jesus has already called him Satan. <laughs> I mean, Peter has no problem scolding Jesus. 
No problem. What is Jesus' response? You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Friends, I think Peter understood a little bit more of Jesus' power than any of the other disciples. Maybe he understood what David saw a little bit more. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is the name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe of the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? I think he was uncomfortable with how powerful Jesus actually was. And I think what he realized in that moment was, who is this man? that he would use such power to raise Lazarus from the dead, and then how dare he get on his knees and wipe the grime off my feet? Who is this man? And I think it made him very uncomfortable. Kings don't do this. And he was losing control. <laughs> and I think at times, Redeemer, when we get close to Jesus, it scares us because we lose control. And Jesus looks at him and says, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but you later will understand. And Peter says, no. Nope, I can't do it. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do this. See, that's what happens, man. When, when you confront Jesus, even when he's just trying to meet immediate needs, it's so humbling. Just even little immediate needs like cleaning your feet, it's so humbling. And then Jesus looks at him and says, then you've got no part with me. And then Peter's like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, I got to be with you. I got to be with you. He doesn't even know what he's saying. <laughs> but because of the grace of Jesus Christ, Jesus is like, nah, you're, you know, Peter Clean my head, clean every part of my body, give me a bath. And Jesus is like, listen, listen, listen. You don't understand what I'm saying. You're clean. But this is where the irony gets thick. Peter, this isn't just about me washing your feet, man. And I think he already washed Judas's feet because he says, not all of you are clean. Judas allowed him, Judas allowed Jesus to wash his feet and he didn't say a word. 
Judas allowed Jesus to get on his knees and clean the dirt and the grime and the crap off his feet. And he knew very well that he was about to give up Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And he allowed the king of glory to wipe off crap off his feet. Didn't say a thing. See, there's three responses here to to Jesus in taking care of immediate needs like cleaning feet. We love when Jesus takes care of our immediate needs. Sometimes, it depends on the need. But it's fascinating, though, when he doesn't take care of our immediate needs. We love telling Jesus what to do, like Peter, in taking care of immediate needs or not taking care of immediate needs. And then we get really upset when he is in control and when he is not in control. It is fascinating. We love to tell Jesus what to do. But here's the thing. I think Peter realized in that moment He even needed Jesus to clean the grime off his feet. And I think he realized that the king of glory came and used his power even to clean the grime off his feet. And it scared him half to death. And I think part of what scares us so much, church, when we confront things like we're confronting this week, is just how little control we have. And it's really scary. (laughs) It is so scary. But what is so captivating to me is that we have a Christ, a Lord, Jesus Christ, who's so captivated by love, so captivated by glory, so captivated by love for his Father. He knew his time had come. He knew he had all power. He was willing to show the full extent of his love that cleaning the grime off of his enemy's feet, his arrogant enemy's feet in Judas, was nothing. Because the next day, he was about to hang on the cross for a world that hated him. Cleaning the grime off of people's feet was nothing compared 
to taking the sin of the world upon his back and dying for the sins of the world. That's power. That is unbelievable power. And so he comes and he meets the immediate needs of his disciples by cleaning the grime off of Peter's feet and the disciples' feet. And Peter comes and says, I will have none of that. And here's where I want to close. Is I think Jesus confronts us here is that he controls all things. And I think the reality is, is his, he has met so many of our needs. So many of our immediate needs. I want you to think through, just even this week, how many immediate needs Jesus Christ has met. He may not have cleaned the grime off of your feet because you can do that. But how many immediate needs has he met? It is fascinating to me how when our world is interrupted, as it is, how scared we get when we think about our future and are our immediate needs going to be met? Will we have the power to meet those immediate needs? No, we may not. But that's the point of this text is that Peter is confronting the reality that he even needs Jesus Christ to wipe the grime off his feet and it scares him. <laughs> He's like, get up, someone else has to do this. And Jesus Christ is like, nope, I have to do this. <laughs> and he can't believe it. And he's like, brother, you do not realize now what I'm going to do, but later you will understand because tomorrow he is going to meet his greatest need in dying on the cross for him. <sighs> Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ has met our greatest need and we didn't ask him for it. Will he not meet a smaller need. What immediate needs has he met? I want you to thank him for it. What needs are you afraid of that he may not meet tomorrow? Health, money, Graduation, trips, I don't know. I mean, it's scary. Um, I'm scared. I mean, uh, there have been a lot of immediate needs that I've thought through in my future. Um, and I've looked at this text and I've just thought, man, I, I'm so dependent on you, Lord. But that's it. And that's what's really scary is I am so dependent on you, Lord. I am so dependent on you, Lord. 
but I think that's what's actually really freed me. I am so dependent on you, Lord. My tomorrow is so dependent on you, Lord. Peter was so dependent on you, Lord. I need you to wash my feet, Lord. I need you to wash my feet, Lord. I need you to keep me healthy, Lord. I need you for my finances, Lord. I need you for my health, Lord. I need you for my job, Lord. I need you to keep my kids healthy, Lord. I need you to keep my church healthy. You've given me the ability to work hard. You've given me so many abilities, but Lord, I need to trust you. I need to depend on you. You are all I have. You are all I have for my salvation and you are all I have for my tomorrow. And that scares me. But then I think about it. All things are under his power. So I can rest in that. And I can trust in that. And I can trust in what you have revealed to David. What is mankind that you are mindful of him? What is man that you love him? He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. Amen.